0: We're so blessed to be together. I know I'm sure like like me, I'm sure you've come to get filled up and get refreshed. I mean, you've been so busy for the last 3 months with so much to do. I had I was sequestered in Kiev for 96 days and I came home to a vacation. My wife said, praise the Lord, you're in time for vacation. I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah, glory to God. But I don't know, like, like Moses, you know, he uh, saw the burning bush, he split the Red Sea, he saw so many miracles, but when it came down to it, he told God, I need more of you. I got to see your face or I can't live. That's a hunger I want. How about you? Let's open our Bible to First uh, Timothy chapter one. It's my prayer that the messages this week minister to your heart, firmly establish you, and bring you further on and closer to the Lord. So good to see with us. I was trying to think of when we first met. It must have been ninety three. Long time ago. Praise the Lord! It's going to be good to hug your neck and hear more of what God's doing. And hallelujah. Well, the interesting thing is the Lord said to, to bring the theme to the landmark this year is the call of God. Right after I had told Debbie Hershey that uh, there wouldn't be a theme because I don't work that way. Pastor Bill works that way. And I, and I, and I said, uh, you know, I remember when when I asked Bill to organize the landmarks and he came up with a theme, I thought, well, that's a good idea. How come I never thought of that? But uh, I'd, I'd always brought guest speakers together, and then we, we didn't tell, tell any direction, but it was always fun about halfway through the week. We'd be amazed at how the messages m- went together, and there was a theme. Usually then by the end of the week, we could, we could recount what God had, had said to us. But after I told Debbie, no, there wouldn't be a theme, I was sitting right over there actually standing and worshiping, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and he told me several things. He said, he, and, and it was in this order, which was really interesting. See, see, six years before, he told me to go to Ukraine and pray and stop a war, and I've been running on that word of the Lord. And then, standing over there worshiping, the Lord said, prepare for war. And it shook me so strong, I literally, literally fell into my seat. Some of you have seen Larry do that, when the anointing comes on him. And I, I sat there in the seat, and I st- said to the Lord, I don't know, wh- how do you prepare for war? And verses flip through your mind. You know, the Bible says he prepared my hands for war. Da- King David said that. Uh, and that through much counsel, you'll make war. So my mind's going through all these things about what, 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 what do I need to do? What do I need to do? And then the Lord said, and I asked the Lord, I said, what, 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 what do you want me to do to prepare for war? And, and I'm just telling you this because the Lord told me, you know, if the Lord tells you, then you can act on it too, but don't, don't get into presumption. Do what God told me to do just because you heard me say it, right? You know, Peter walked on the water. There were 11 other men back there. They didn't walk on the water. And it wasn't because they didn't believe. It's because they weren't called. Jesus called Peter. He said, come. And he, walked, he didn't walk on the water anyway. He walked on the word of Jesus. So anyway, the Lord said to me, get out of debt. And I'm going to be honest, you know, I'm 56 years old, but it's probably the first time in my entire life I've really put the bit in my mouth that uh, it, it's about all I think about. I have to get out of debt. Because I got a word from the Lord. And, uh, you know, I'm a subject, but the Lord's already delivered us in, a, in wonderful ways. And we're, we're well on our way. We're not quite there yet, but we're well on our way. Because, you know, when you do what God tells you to do, you can do it. The power to do it is in Him telling you to do it. There's no commandment that's grievous. He gives you the power to do it. If God said fly, there'd be power to fly. Yep. Right? Yep. Amen. So that's why when he says to be holy or to be, be humble or, or to, to, to walk in love, you can do it because he's commanded us to do it. Hallelujah. Then, which is really odd, he said, get out of debt. Then the next thing he said was, the theme for the landmark will be the call of God. <laughs> and I thought, well, now that's interesting. But they're tied together. See, I don't think ever in our life, you know, maybe some of the younger ones, but some of us are old enough to realize we've had a lifetime of ministry before. I don't know about you, this is the 40th year I've been preaching the gospel. I started preaching when I was 16. I'm 56. 40 years of preaching the gospel. And I feel like I'm just getting started. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a preparation time. And, and with what the, what the world is facing, I don't think there's ever a moment in your life, in my life, where we need to know what I'm called to do. What is my unique contribution? When I do go to the other side, and I do stand before the Lord, and He does say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to know. I want to know that I've done it. I want to be able even in, in, the, in the crisis of the cross, like Jesus to say, it is finished. Not I almost made it. Not I did a little bit. No, no, I want to do it all. What he's called me to do. And I hope that's our passion this whole week. Because he's created each and every one of us. Unique in his sight, but with a purpose and a plan and destiny yes. amen. amen, and as people of destiny, we, we need to, we need to recognize the weight of responsibility that that places on us, not in a way to crush us or to make us lame, but but actually to give us more of a sober look and to prioritize life and to cut away some things that don't belong to lay aside the weight that easily besets us so we can run with patience the race that's set before us. Amen? So here in 1 Timothy, we'll jump right into the Word. Let's begin in verse 11. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 11. Paul is talking and he says, It's according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust there's a part of the gospel that's committed. Well, it's not a part of the gospel. It's sort of like getting filled with the Holy Ghost. You don't get a part of the Holy Ghost. I don't know how to, there's really no way to conceive of that, right? You got filled with the Holy Ghost. You have all of the Holy Ghost, but so do I. Amen. I mean, I used to He's a good old friend of mine, Rich Ross. He got more of the Holy Ghost than I have because he's got about 300 cubic more inches than I had. He, he was a big man. I mean, that man, you get that man full of the Holy Ghost, he's full of the Holy Ghost. And me, I'm just, you know, vertically challenged. I, I don't know how much of the Holy Ghost I can hold. How I many of you know that's not true? You get filled with the Holy Ghost, you have all of the Holy Ghost. Well, in the same way Paul said the gospel was committed to my trust, it's committed to you too. You see, you, maybe it's been overused and maybe it's trite, but it's really worth contemplating. Your life may be the only Bible some people ever read. You meet people I don't meet. You walk in spheres I don't walk in. You talk a language in a, in, a, in, a, in a vocabulary that I don't talk. You're perfectly fitted. And God has trusted the gospel to you. Just like you're full of all the Holy Ghost. The whole gospel has been entrusted to you. To bring forth fruit. And I'm talking about souls. Souls into the kingdom of God. Amen. So when Paul said this, he said, It was, this gospel's committed to my trust. There's a gospel committed to your trust. And if you don't preach it, if you don't live it, if you don't reflect it, it won't be heard, it won't be seen, it won't be received. He then goes on and he says, And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has enabled me, And this week, I want to talk about the anointing, the empowerment, the being enabled to do what God called you to do. He has enabled me for that he counted me faithful. Everybody say faithful. faithful. Putting me into the ministry. That means when... Pastor Bill talked about that moment in Acts 13 where the the Holy Ghost moved in a group of men, and those men recognized the voice of the Spirit, and, and they obeyed, and the Spirit said, separate me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I've called them, that there was a period prior to that of preparation time where Paul, at least by God, was judged faithful. I, I, it's, it, and Paul later said, you know, it's a, it's a light thing for me to be judged to you. I got somebody that knows how to judge that judges me. His name's Jesus. And my wife. <laughs> Criticize me all you want. I got two really good criticizers who love me and want to see me through. Right? Amen. And, and so Paul here talks about this enabling power is, is, is contingent. Dependent on faithfulness. Are you faithful? And so that has to be a theme or a foundation stone for everything that goes on where power and enablement is concerned. You may have power like a flash in the pan with the gifts of the Spirit or working in miracles or or, or some moment. But faithfulness speaks of the long haul. Amen. Speaks of of time and passing of time. It speaks of process. Turn with me to Matthew 20. We're going to look at a few scriptures quickly. And just emphasize this and make sure we have the, the biblical perspective. Matthew 20, look at verse 15. Jesus is speaking. He says, so the last shall be first and the first last. For many be called, but few chosen. Well, that's sobering, isn't it? Many be called, but few are chosen. I have a sermon, I've still never yet preached it, where Jesus chose 12 men. He, he went out, first he went out and he prayed all night long. And then he chose 12 men out of a group of about 70. The title of the sermon is The many He Didn't Choose. They had, they had a call also, and I'm sure many of them fulfilled it. But there was something specific about those 12, and he called them to come and die, right? See, there's many called, but few are chosen. Look with me then to uh, chapter 22, verse 14, where this is reiterated. What does he say? For many are called, but few are chosen many are called but few are chosen I don't know where it sits in the doctrinal perspective uh, uh, but it's interesting to consider something Catherine Kuhlman said someone was asking her why God would use a woman to have such a healing ministry she says oh I don't know maybe some man didn't answer the call I thought it was a pretty good thing for a woman to say number one And I can see you ladies still aren't really up on things. You should be shouting and hooting and hollering right about now, but you're also quiet and mousy. Eventually, we're going to get a room full of women that are really turned on to Jesus and want to fulfill the call of God in their life too. And they all said amen in this Episcopal church. (laughs) Thank God for Catherine Kuhlman. And maybe, maybe there was a man that was called and didn't do his part. Maybe that's possible. I'm, I'm more prone to be honest with you that, that uh, God makes no distinction between male or female. It's in the Bible. You can read it. Amen. See, there's a calling, but, the, but there's a choosing as well. Go with me to Revelations then. Look over in 17. I think it's good when you sit around and shake your head and wonder, how did I get here? It kind of shows that the call is God's and not your own. Amen? We make a grave mistake when we look at certain people and we confuse godly leadership with an opportunistic spirit. People trying to manipulate themselves in the right position and get the right 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 job to get the right place to get the right pulpit you know now I want to be right where God wants me to be and it's not easy to, to be able to boldly say that with integrity as there was a day I couldn't I recognize it there was a day in my life where I wanted more I got flesh you got flesh I, I wanted position I wanted an audience instead of a body See, and, and God had to lead me through a process just as he leads you through a process of putting to, to death some of those selfish ambitions. And, and thank God he does so and he finds us faithful or, or he can. Here in verse 14 of chapter 17, these shall make war with the lamb. Hoo-hoo. Yeah, let's, let's go to war. Jesus said, prepare for war. These shall make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Amen. Amen. Let's, let's be faithful. And in this hour, of our first of all, in the hour that the world is in, that's one thing. And we were born for this hour. That's important to know. You know, when I was a little boy, Daniel Boone was my hero. (laughs) I had a raccoon hat. I had a a play gun musket. And I stole my daddy's hatchet and stuck it in my belt. And I'd run through the woods. And I was Daniel Boone killing engines and, and discovering new territory. He was my hero. Now, if it wasn't Daniel Boone, it was Tarzan. But I knew Tarzan was fake. (laughs) And he used to bother me that I was born too late. Why couldn't I have been born when Daniel Boone was running around? Do you ever feel that way? I feel I was born in the wrong time. No, you're born right where God wanted you. More than likely, Paul's upstairs thinking, how come I couldn't have been born in 2020? I mean, here I wrote wrote all those epistles in the New Testament. What I could have done with a word processor. <laughs> I mean, the the you know how big the Bible would be if Paul had a word processor. <laughs> the Lord Almighty, now you're born for this time, for this hour, and you've been well prepared for the part God wants you to play in in life, and in and in faithfulness. Look over with me to Ephesians chapter 2. We'll just remind ourselves of some things I know that we know. But it's good to stir yourself up put yourself in remembrance. Ephesians 2.10, for we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. God has a work that he wants you to walk in that he ordained it before. Well, before when? Well, I'm glad you asked. Go over to 2 Timothy. Let's look 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. He saved us. You remember when you were born again? He saved us and he called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before the world began. This is one I I just love to contemplate and meditate on this. Before there was even a world, God knew every song you were going to sing. Amazing. How great is his understanding? How vast is his wisdom? Before there even was a world, he knew your name. He knew your heartaches. He knew your sorrows. He knew where you'd be every moment of every day before the world began. He knew you'd be in this room at this moment listening to this message with words prepared for your heart and your spirit. Amen. Right now. Amen. I mean I liken it to the body. This, this physical body that God created. You cut it and it will heal. There's so many. There's hundreds of things happening that are unconscious right now. Everything from breathing to to. to Carrying oxygen through your body to your heart that's beating, to the nervous system that's operating, the glands that are functioning, uh, things synapses firing in your brain. You know, all of this just so I can move around. God's creation so I can go from point A to point B. And God has put so much wisdom into this magnificent thing that we call our physical body. So we can go from point A to point B. Don't you think he put just as much thought, just as much intricacy, just as much detail, minutiae into your day? If he put all that wisdom into your body that's to get you through the day, how much more has he put wisdom into the day? That everything be related everything be, be a part of, 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 of influence and consequence upon everything else he weaves such a tapestry of our life all we need to do is, is get into it it's a holy calling it's not according to our works but it's according to his purpose and his grace and according to Paul If if he'll find us faithful in that part that we play, there'll be a divine enablement on top of that. Amen. Well, how do we walk in this call that God has for us? Let's go to Luke. Luke chapter 2. And let's look at Jesus. Jesus. Later, we'll read from some scriptures in Ephesians where we all know Jesus is our pattern. He's our example. Amen? Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. Amen. I remember when I first started preaching, I had some critics because I was listening to, well, I was chewing Copenhagen and spitting on the devil. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I just lived on tapes, you know. Some people were bookworms. I was a tapeworm. <laughs> <laughs> the old jokes still work, Bob. I even got you to laugh. And I had one Methodist preacher. As I, was, I got corralled by the Methodists, and they laid hands on me, and I became, a, I became the youngest uh, a lay preacher in the Methodist church nationwide. Wow. And I didn't realize I thought they wanted to hear the gospel, but it was just a freak show. Took, took me about two years to f- realize they didn't want to hear the gospel. They just wanted to hear the boy preacher. I could have got up and read from Reader's Digest and they'd have been happy. But, uh, you know, anyway, I was busy learning. And I had one Methodist preacher. He said to me, oh, he says, all you want to do is you just want to be like Kenneth Copeland. And without thinking, I said, I'd never aim that low. I want to be like Jesus. And I know Brother Copeland would shout amen if he heard that. Yeah. I want to be like Jesus. He's our pattern. He, he's the apostle. He's the prophet. He's the evangelist. He's the good shepherd, the pastor. He's the teacher. Amen. amen. He's, he's, he's all in all. He's the alpha and the omega. And the beauty of it is the same way God dealt with him is, is God will deal with us. Amen. You see, here in, in Luke, we find that Jesus had to follow a process to enter into maturity and enter into ministry. Look here in Luke 2, verse 42. And when he was 12 years old, or fully 12 years old, he became, the, it's the age of a man. They went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast, and when they'd fulfilled the days as they returned, the child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem, and Joseph and his mother knew not of it, but they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey. Some people really freak out about this. What kind of parents would do that? (laughs) It was a better culture, maybe. I don't know. I remember when I was about 12 years old, I ran away from home for three days, and Built a lean-to and lived in the woods. I came back after three days and my parents didn't know I had been gone. They thought I were off camping. They never knew I ran away from home. I was devastated. I thought I had made a statement. That's a true story. So I, I don't think Jesus, you know, that's just the way some families are. Hallelujah. So they went back. A day's journey, they sought him among their kin and their acquaintance. And when they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the middle of the doctors, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and his answers. And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that you sought me? What are you looking for me for? Imagine that. Wist you not, didn't you know, that I must be about my father's business? And they understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. The Greek really brings out, he habitually submitted. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. See, even with Jesus, there's a process. And think about it. First of all, at least as far as Jesus was concerned, he was old enough he, he, in Jewish culture at this time, uh, this would have been the same age that Paul would have came from Antioch to Jerusalem to sit at the feet of Gamaliel and, and, and be instructed and taught. When Jesus was in the temple sitting there, he wasn't the only, he wasn't the only 12-year-old there. See, a lot of times, I don't even, I don't even think there's a painting that way. There's just one little boy sitting in a group of old men. No, there was a school And they sent their their children. And uh, Jesus, you know, he wanted to go to to that school. He wanted to be in that temple. He wanted to be sitting in that group. He wanted to be talking to those people. He wanted to be learning the word, sharing the word. That's what he wanted. I mean, he obviously was so excited about it, he didn't even say goodbye to mom and dad. So he, the, the timing, timing was there. The age was there. And not only that, he had obvious recognizable, very recognizable abilities. Right? I mean, look, look at verse 46 and 47. He was hearing and asking and answering questions, which was the Hebrew method of education. This, what we're doing right now with the sermon, this is the Greek method. The Greeks brought this to pass. Prior to that, the Hebrews always sat in a group and they'd read scripture and then they would ask questions. And, and that way have a, a discussion that was led, uh, you know, and hopefully guided so it'd stay on subject. And you can do that yet today. I enjoy doing that. I know in the leadership training school, that's one of the things I enjoy the most. Amen. And we grade people on whether they ask a question. Because some of them try to hide in the corner. You know, and, and not be seen, and not think, and not participate. But you learn when you ask questions. You can locate people by the questions that they ask. Well, Jesus, they located Jesus. They were amazed. Where'd this boy get this? How, 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 how did he get this understanding and these answers? So he was, he was of age. He had ability. And not only that, he knew something about his destiny. Notice there in verse 49, he said, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? Don't you understand the ministry is important? Don't you know I'm called to preach? I, 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 I got something to get done. I got I to I fulfill what God called me to do. I got to be busy about my father's business. But mama said no. Now think about this. His mother and father trumped all of that. What he thought was the right time, he must have thought it was the right time. He left his family. I mean, imagine that. He thought it was the right time. He had ability. He was recognized. There was something there. Oh, boy, I went through that. Had the Bishop of the Methodist, Pennsylvania, whatever they call it. Now I even forget what it is. Come and lay hands on me. in Edinburgh had to go to a special class, become a lay preacher. And everybody says nice things about you. (laughs) Can be poison to you, especially when you're young. Especially when you're young. And Jesus had these abilities. He had to, he's sitting in a group with guys like Gamaliel who was, certainly there. It's possible Paul was there. I don't know. Paul might have come later, but it's a good chance Paul was there. Here's Jesus sitting rubbing shoulders with some of these elite in, the, in, in Jerusalem now, not Galilee. Right? In Jerusalem. I mean, it, he, is, he is in Tulsa at Ramah sitting right next to Brother Hagin. I mean, he said, some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. I don't don't know. Somehow I have to come up with some new names now. There's different idols you worship. I mean, there's different people. (laughs) Right? If you can't say amen, say oh me. And yet, verse 51, he went down with them. And he came to Nazareth, and instead of going to Bible school, instead of sitting in Jerusalem, instead of studying with the best of the best, he studied the best thing, faithfulness. And he says he was subject unto them. The Greek reads, he habitually submitted to them. Do You know what that means? It means he had to make this choice more than once, and it probably hurt just as much each time. In other words, a week later, he'd get up and say, wish I was in Jerusalem. i got to go to this local synagogue with this old guy that doesn't know much. Right? He had to make a habit of submitting. Because submission is a teacher that is an equal opportunity across the board for all of us. It's important to, to get this principle. When I, when I was uh, young and raised up in a family, I didn't know it until later years how good of a family I was raised in, that I treasure it now. My father was a He's in heaven now. My father was a great man, and if I had any inadequacies when I was young, as will I ever be as good as he? But then I meet other brothers. I remember meeting a, a, a friend preached with him th- three or four times. I call him friend. We, I guess, maybe acquaintances, but but uh, you know we would greet each other if we saw each other. It's been years. Preached with him three or four different places. He used to be. Uh, A member of the Hell's Angels. And he'd sat with me privately and talked about his father. We didn't have the same daddy. Where his father would beat him literally with a chain. And drug him in the basement and chained him to a pole. And fed him in a dog dish. Now that's not even what I'd call a father. He grew up in that kind of an environment. But as soon as he got saved and filled with the Holy Ghost, you know what the Lord started dealing with him on? Was submitting to your father. Now, how do you submit to a tyrant? I mean, it's easy, easier to submit to a good man. Isn't it? Whom you can see loves you and has the best intent for your future. How do you submit to a tyrant? And yet the command is, 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 is equal. Well, as he worked through that, him and his friend Ed Cole led his father to Jesus. Ed Cole discipled him. And, and this character that I see in him, it's the same I see in other men of God who've submitted in their circumstances that are all of varying degrees of problem or complex. See, we always want to blame someone else. We always want to blame, well, it was my dad, or it was the fact I never had a dad. Well, you still had this principle of submission. And that's the lesson. That's the school teacher. And Jesus, it wasn't Gamaliel. It wasn't a prophet. It was his mother and father he submitted to. Which, I don't know about you, but it could have smacked of a little bit of uh, humiliation, you know. I, I, I felt that way when I, I was a teenager, I, the, the, the thing I'm trying to express, the way I felt. I don't know about you, but, man, I wanted, I wanted, I wanted Brother Hagin to disciple me. <laughs> that, I mean, that's what should take place. Brother Hagen should disciple me. Kenneth Hagen. except there's one problem. He doesn't know I exist. Well, if not Kenneth Hagin, then maybe Copeland will do. Brother Copeland should disciple me. But there's a problem there too. He doesn't know I exist. Right? So who's God send to me? A Catholic charismatic that believes deodorant is of the devil. I'm not kidding you. He, he used his faith. Now his faith didn't work real well. But he believed he didn't smell. I figured it'd be better for him to believe that other people couldn't smell. <laughs> he was on the wild side of the charismatic movement. And still is. Gene Olin. And I had to, and I had to realize God put him in my life. God didn't put Brother Hagin in my life. God, God put somebody in my life I didn't really want. Until I began to respect the anointing that was on his life. And the purpose of God putting that man in my life versus some other man. And this principle of submission. See, submission is when you bring your will in conformity to another. In spite of your view. And, and, you, and I think you understand that. I mean, wives submit to their husbands. I'm, I'm convinced that's one of the reasons women generally are more spiritual than men. Because they're raised up in an environment of submission where men don't seem to be confronted with it enough. Yeah. Mainly because too many of the men in society are effeminate and they're afraid to be men. Especially in a group of men. That's off the subject. But if I say to my wife, honey, we got a little extra money. Let's go shopping and buy you a new dress and an Apple watch. And let's, let's go do that. She'll, she'll look at me, roll her eyes and say, I submit. <laughs> right? Honey, you've always wanted to go to Greece. We got a little extra money. We got miles for the, getting a free ticket. Let's go to Greece and, and let's uh, uh, do our own little Mamma Mia on the beach. And uh, uh, dot dot dot. You know we'll have we'll have a great vacation, and she'll look at me and she'll say, "I submit," right? But then if I say, "Sweetheart." I know. I know. Uh, this time of year, the mosquitoes are really bad in, in Toronto. But I've been wanting, or in northern Ontario. But I've been wanting to go fishing. Let's go. Let's go take a little pup tent and a canoe, and let's go up north, and let's go get some pike and some walleye. And let's let us let us not even take food. We'll just eat what we catch. And and, and won't that be fun? And she'll say, hey, he said, How many of you know the difference? (laughs) Right? I have a feeling when Jesus habitually submitted, it was the last one. It wasn't the first one. Because that's where you learn. That's where God takes something and forms character and builds something strong enough that he can trust. And there's a principle here of faithfulness. And notice this. Go up to verse 40. Are you in Luke 2? It says, And the child grew, and he waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Now that's just the child. He grew. This word grow is exactly what you'd think. It's like a flower grows, it's life. Life increases. You see see it spring up, and then there's a stem, and then there's a flower, and then it blooms. That's growth, isn't it? And you watch little children. I watch my grandchildren now, and it's just so fun to watch them grow. You know, and you get sequestered overseas for three months, and you come back, and my, have they grown. I grew a little too. (laughs) I don't know about you. I grew too much. (laughs) Sideways. I'm going to work on that. But anyhow, (laughs) growth is a good thing, isn't it? And you can look at a child like, you know, I can imagine, and, and, you know, you watch TV enough, you can see different documentaries. You know, there was uh, Tiger Woods' father looking at him as a little boy. He's just growing, and he he took the golf club, and he kind of went at it naturally. And he had skills that nobody taught him very much, you know, maybe just enough to how to hold the, the stick. But at that point, it's just growth. Right? Or Michael Jordan, I'm sure, when he was a little boy, I think he was overseas. I think he grew up in Italy, didn't he? And and and, and he run around as a little boy on a basketball court. He he's growing and he has some ability, right? But every coach will tell you that's just not enough. You've got to put some force or some pressure on that and train. Right? See, growth, you just don't grow up to be a champion basketball player. Growth may may, may introduce some qualities, some abilities, but if you really want to see it perform, you got to put some pressure on that, training. So here in, in verse 40, it says the child grew. Jesus grew, and that's what brought him to Jerusalem. But now... Now when he began to submit, verse 51, he habitually submitted to his parents. Notice what happened in verse 52. And Jesus increased. He didn't grow. He increased. Now this word increase in the Greek is prokoptein, Prokopteen. And it's an interesting word because it literally is a word they used to cut one's way forward. Through a forest as one might cut a path. Cutting a path through the woods. A whole lot different than finding one. See, there's really, there's no easy shortcuts. There's no easy shortcuts. Jesus had to cut his way forward. As one might cut a path through the forest. That's increase. That's the pressure that the coach would put on the young Michael Jordan. That'll make the difference. That's the pressure that Michael Jordan put on Michael Jordan. To exercise and to practice hours upon hours. More than the competition or more than his colleagues. That made the difference. It takes this growth capacity. And add something to it that brings it to a place of usefulness. And the tool for that is submission. But the process is faithfulness. Because faithfulness is evidenced by a series of submissive decisions. 1993. Uh, friend of mine, Matthew Allen and I, we went, we were in D.C., and uh, Matthew got me into teaching some house groups that were surrounding the Capitol, and, uh, it, and I had these, we had these during the week, and they were powerful, they were fun, but then we didn't have anywhere to preach on Sunday, because all the, it was all little house groups, so Sunday, you know, I asked Matthew, well, we, we got to go to church somewhere, where, where do you want to go? Matthew said, well, I heard about this one church. Let's go there. So we went. It was a black church. And I mean, we were the white section, me and Matt. And, and we get in there, and there's, I don't know, a couple thousand people. And uh, everyone just so friendly. I love black churches. And then they start to worship, and had the choir. Their choir was bigger than the church I pastored. <laughs> I'm sitting there counting their choir and, and, and feeling so insignificant. You know, and uh, just, you know, enjoying Jesus and feeling like, you know, I'm just small. You know, look at this big church, big church. I remember I walked into a big church once with a pastor from Erie and he looked around and he looked at me and he says, man, he said, because he was pastoring about 200 people at the time, we're in this church of about 5,000. He looks around, he says, man, what am I doing wrong? I said, that's what you're doing wrong. Well, it's in all of us. It's called flesh. So here I am feeling like I'm nobody. And and the church service goes on. To make a long story short, the pastor gets up to preach. He even read his text. And then he stopped and he gave out a tongue. And uh, we need to get back to that. We're losing the supernatural in the churches. And we've got to stop that. We need the supernatural in the churches. So he gave out a tongue And as soon as he gave it out, God gave me the interpretation. And it was very detailed. So I was a bit intimidated and scared to to, to share it, a white man in a black church and a stranger, you know. And so I hesitated. And while I hesitated, somebody gave out uh, 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 another interpretation, which was interesting because as soon as they were done, the pastor leaned over the pulpit and he said, now, folks, He says, let me teach you a little bit. That wasn't the translation to the tongue. That was a prophetic utterance. Thank you, brother, for speaking that out. But it still wasn't the interpretation of the tongue. And then he did something I'd never seen before, and I've never seen it again. He gave out the same tongue. I didn't even know you could do it. And when he gave out that tongue a second time, the same interpretation went through me like waves. And, and, and I had this thought in my mind that, you know, when that person spoke out a line or spoke out the prophetic word, it's such a big place, I, I could hardly hear what the guy said. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Lord, I need a microphone. And I, and I thought, well, there's an usher right at the end of the line here. I'm going to ask him if I could have a microphone. And I kind of went like this to, to walk over. And by the time I did that, somebody else gave out another interpretation. And he pastor then did the same thing again he said thank you thank you i think this was a woman he said thank you for giving out that prophetic word but that was not the interpretation of the tongue and uh, he encouraged him and i loved how he was correcting his body and teaching his body at the same time you don't have to be afraid of the manifestation of the gifts of the spirit in a congregation and if you are there's something wrong with you not those ministering the gifts amen amen See, the Bible says, let everything be done in, decently and in an order. And people use that to stop the flow of the gifts. But look at what it says. Let everything be done. It means there's a lot more we need to be doing. You can do it all decently and in order. You don't have to limit yourself to the supernatural. So then the pastor... For the third time, gave out the tongue. Again, I've never seen it since. He gave out the the same tongue the third time. And at this, I'm still wrestling with the Lord that nobody's going to hear me. I said, Lord, I need a microphone. And he finishes the tongue, and he leans over his pulpit, and he says, put a microphone right there. And the ushers brought a microphone up, and I thought, well, I've been had. (laughs) So I make my way to the microphone, and I give out the interpretation. And it was a blessing to the people, and it was accurate. I found out later it was, it was really you know, key to confirming many things the pastor had said weeks before. And the fact that God would use a white man to say it, and, use, and they all knew I hadn't been there for weeks, well, it was confirmation, and that's how the Lord works, right? And so uh, as soon as I was done delivering it, I turned to walk away, and he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. He says, uh, come up here. He says, the Lord says you're supposed to preach. So I, I came up to the pulpit. And you got to understand now, I'm in early 20s. Somebody can figure it out, 93, how old I was. But I was young. I'd never preached ever in a group that big. Besides the fact in a group where they all say amen. It's fun. I mean, it's like, this is not the Methodist church. And uh, oh boy, I mean, did I hesitate? No. Did I enjoy it? Yes. Did I preach? Bet your life. And I just slathered and spattered all over the place and preached, you know. And I had the time of my life because I'd never been in a position like that. And then when I was done, I didn't know what to do. But the pastor, he didn't, he, he had just gone behind the pulpit. You know how the black churches are, they have chairs. And he just sat down. He was behind me the whole time shouting amen and stomping his feet and woo, you know, and all that good stuff. He enjoyed it too. So when I'm done, I thought, well, I'm going to turn it over to the pastor, which I did. And I, I didn't know I was going to go down the steps. And he says, no, no, just, just come sit back here. So I went and sat in the chair where he sat. And when I sat down, this is, this is what I'll never forget ever in my life and God forgive me if I ever would forget. I thought I was anointed when I was preaching in front of that crowd. I was so excited. It was like the pinnacle of everything I had ever had. But when I sat down, the power of God fell on me. It felt like somebody took a big old heavy wool coat and just threw it over top of me. Just the power of God came on me. And I'm sitting in a chair. The Spirit of God came on me. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, son, do you see how fast I can put you in front of a large group of people? Now go home and be faithful and do what I told you to do. Oh, Lord, I lost it. I started sobbing like a little baby. And I kept my mouth shut and I played as humble as I could and all the compliments and whatever. I kept my eyes down and I got out of there as fast as I could. And I drove home crying, Lord, I'm going home. I'm going back to big old Titusville population, less than nothing. <laughs> I'm going I'm to preach in that little schoolhouse in the corner of a cornfield without a toilet. And I did. And it lasted me. I got back into the groove of obeying Jesus and not the flesh and looking for his glory and not status for a couple years. Then it wears off. You know, if you don't take a shower, your flesh stinks. (laughs) Well, I got stinky again, I guess. And I ended up in Philadelphia. I I had a miracle somebody had bought three days in a hotel and Jerry Savelle was holding a, a conference there on behalf of Brother Copeland. And, and uh, so I went down there to go to that conference and pray. And God met me. Actually, I'm lying. I went down there to quit. I was so, I was so tired of not seeing results. And I was, getting, I was getting all wound up on myself. Pastor Bill was talking about burnout. And, and I don't think I was burned out because you can't be burned out if you're not on fire. I'd lost the fire. And I was down there and so I fasted and prayed and uh, had a great time at those conferences with the, the, the Copeland ministry. And then as you know, they don't do anything on Sunday. They finish up on Saturday night. So I, I'm still there. I got a hotel and I got Sunday morning. I don't have anywhere to go to church. So, so uh, s- Saturday night uh, before I went to the last Copeland meeting, I went to the concierge, and I said, uh, you got any churches around here? And he pulled out some list, and it was like first this, second that, you know, and all this, and I'm looking at this list thinking, this ain't the kind of places I want to go. <laughs> and I looked, and he was writing out a bill, an invoice, and I saw it say, New Covenant Church, upside down, and I reached over, and I tapped on that, and I said, hey, hey, who's that? That's a church. Who's that? And he says, oh, they just had a seminar here. There's some of their elders standing over there. And I looked over, and there's a bunch of really well-dressed black men, you know, big smiles. And, and they're, you know, talking. And I just walked up to them, and I said, praise the Lord. And they just lit up. <laughs> Isn't that fun, you know? And so, you know, we started talking, and I said, hey, you got a church around here? I don't have anywhere to go tomorrow. Why? Well, we sure do. Praise the Lord, you know. And so in five minutes, they said they'd have a driver come pick me up. And they'd bring me to church. I said, praise God, I'll see you tomorrow. So I went off to the evening meeting, came back the next morning. I woke up real early, and I went down to the restaurant, and I had to get some breakfast. I had my Bible, and I'm all dressed to go to church. And I walk into the restaurant, and there's only one fella in the restaurant. And he's sitting there, and, it, and he's he's got what I'm assuming is a Bible next to him. And so I thought, well, he's a believer too. So I just walked up, and I said, is that a Bible or a Koran? And he looked up at me and laughed. He said, that's a Bible. And I said, so I'm going to sit with you. So we sat down and started talking. And here, he's a pastor from Ohio. And he was one of the speakers at the seminar. So we're going to the same church. And I said, well, praise the Lord. And then I I figured out, after we talked a little bit more, he's going to speak that morning. And I said, well, praise God, I'll get to hear you preach. And so we had a little fellowship. That was fun. My driver came before him. So so here he is out on the sidewalk. My driver comes, and, 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 and I'm like, you know, you can come with me. No, no, i got to wait for, you know, I guess it was assistant pastor or something. So oh, all right, all right. So I went first. I get to this black church. It's about 3,000 people. And I get there, and I'm going to go into the main sanctuary area. And this woman. She comes a running up to me, Pastor, Pastor, no, no, you don't go in this way. And she grabs me, she sticks a flower in my thing, she's hugging on me, how you doing? And, and, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to go in here and, you know, y'all made, made arrangements for me, I'm going to just walk. No, 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 Pastor wants you in his office. And I'm like, you got the wrong white boy. <laughs> yeah, the guy back in the hotel was white too. I said, the pastor doesn't want me in the office. He wants the other. No, no, no. He wants you too. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So she drags me into the pastor's office. There's no pastor. I'm just sitting there in this beautiful office. It's right off. You could tell with the, the sound, it's right off the stage. And I'm sitting there like feeling really like this is a mistake. I'm sure it's a mistake. And I got my little flower and everything. And pretty soon the, the, the guest speaker walks in. He looks and he looks at me and he's sitting there, he says, What are you doing here? I said, I have no idea. I've been kidnapped. They think I'm you. And he starts laughing. And then the pastor comes in. And and we're all laughing about it. And the pastor says, No, 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 I knew it was wasn't, you know, I knew there was two of you, but I heard about you. And when the elders told me about you, and you would mentioned you were here praying for the city. The Lord said, you're supposed to preach this morning. So we're going to have a double header. Uh, yeah. And I thought, now you all understand something? Who's the spiritual one here? Not me. Pastor that heard from God and have a stranger in his pulpit. I and mean, that to me still is amazing. So, boy, there's something wrong with these Watches. So to make a long story longer, I <laughs> he said, we're going to have a doubleheader, so, so uh, uh, you're going to go first. So I get up, and a little bit bigger church than the one in D.C., and I preach, and I'm telling you, God is my witness. I preached. I mean, I had fun. The power of God moved in that congregation. It was a good sermon if I ever preached a good sermon. But the same thing happened because they're all sitting on the platform behind And when I'm done, it's now the other fellow's turn. So I turn it over to him and I go sit down. And when I sat down, the Spirit of God came on me. So heavy. And he said, son, do you see how fast I can put you in front of a large group of people? Now go home. And I said, I know. I'll be faithful. I'll do what you told me to do. And I went home. And there was something in that that's a real death. And sometimes it's slow. Because I think we don't sharpen our knives well enough. We let, it, we let these gray areas exist. Because a couple years later, uh, Benny Hinn was in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the hockey arena. I need two minutes. Can I have two minutes? Absolutely. Two, just two. And uh, we got these letters that pastors had special seating if you came early. So we went like three, four hours early, and special seating meant row 55. I mean, seriously, we were so far back. And, and it's like, wow, you know, we got to sit here for three or four hours and just sit. And we're sitting there. My wife's to my left. We're literally like 50 rows back on the floor. And there's this guy to my right, and he just, you know, we're there, so you start talking. He's an Assembly of God pastor, and he starts asking me. He starts pushing every button in my flesh. He said, where are you from? I said, Titusville, Pennsylvania. He says, Titusville? Well, that's a small place. You need to move. You need to get out into a big city. You got to get out where the action's at. And I'm like, as if I don't know. <laughs> he said, where'd you go to Bible school? Well, I didn't have a chance to go to Bible school. I started preaching when I was 16 and it wasn't in the plan of God for me to go to Bible. Well, you got to go to Bible school. you got to belong to something bigger. you got to be a part of a movement. You, you need Bible school, young man. And, and I mean, everything he asked hurt me in ways that he, obviously he didn't know. But there was more than once I looked up to see if there was horns coming out the back of his head. Because it hurt. And finally, finally, and I'm not lying about this. Finally, I said to him, I I need to pray. And I stuck my face in my hands to pray so I could ignore him. And it's just the honest to God's truth. I didn't want to talk to this guy anymore. And I'm praying. And when I'm praying, I prayed a prayer that I'd prayed a thousand times. But for the first time in my life. I prayed it in truth. Because somehow I prayed, Lord, I don't care where you send me. I just want to do your will. And I meant it. I would prayed it a thousand times. But that time, it was pure. Something had died. I'm going back to Titusville. I don't need this. I need you. I want to know that I'm doing what you called me to do. And, 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 and the status and all that, I, w- I want to serve you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. And somebody started grabbing me by the shirt on the shoulder and shaking me. Hey, hey. And, I, and I'm like, honest to God, I'm having a moment with Jesus. It kind of made me mad. And I look up, and there's my wife had gone get something to eat or drink, and, and there's this usher got a hold of my shirt, and he's shaking me. Hey, hey, are you Dale Armstrong? I said, yeah. He said, they want you up front. I'm like, who even knows I'm here? And I got up, and I thought, well, okay. I thought, well, oh, maybe, you know, I did fill out a form. They probably want me to usher. You know, they probably need somebody to pass a bucket or something. Okay I can do that, so I went up front with the guy, and he takes me to the head usher who's got a big clipboard. He says, "Are you Dale Armstrong?" I said, Yes, sir, well, how can I help you? What do you need? He says, They want you out back. I said, What? He said, Follow me. So we went around the platform and down into these tunnels and and I'm like, Where is he taking me? And we go down into these tunnels, and he opens the door and he Waves for me to go through. I go through, and he doesn't and shuts the door behind me. And I'm standing there in this hall with all these banquet tables with full of food and Cokes and coffee and fruit and all this stuff and surrounded by every big-name preacher I'd ever seen in my life. And this real tall fella sees me standing there looking like a goose in a hailstorm and he, he grabs two Cokes and he walks up to me and he gives me one. He says, hi, my name's Ralph Wilkerson. And he sticks his arm around me. And he, and he, and he never took his arm off of me. And he, he walked me over, sat me down on a chair. And we're sitting there with his arm around me and I'm looking up at him. I, I knew who he was in Melody Land. I'd seen him on TV. And I'm like, where am I? And, and Ralph looks at me and he says, you know, I started preaching when I was a teenager. I never did go to big cities. I was, God always sent me to these small podunk places. Can you imagine that? He said, I never got a chance to go to Bible school. I never, I never had a chance. All my, my friends, they all graduated from the best places. I never got to go to Bible school. Can you imagine that? And he went on and on and on. He just reversed everything that demon <laughs> said. That's why it's such a joy for me when Ralph Wilkerson came here and preached. God used him. And uh, so then after Ralph built me up, Benny Hinn comes in and his assistant and his assistant says, now, gentlemen, this is our seating arrangements. And I'm like, our what? And before I know it, there I am sitting. Actually, I was right behind Benny Hinn in front of 20,000 people. Do you know how many times you check to see if your zipper's up when you get in front of 20,000 people? (laughs) just want to warn you (laughs) that I still remember looking out down to row 55 because my wife was gone when they stole me. She had no clue where I was and then all of a sudden I'm on the platform and I'm looking out there and I'm not looking for my wife, I'm looking for that set of horns God has a plan for you, and you know what it is, be faithful. Amen. Amen.